This is Brian Mudor from East Carolina University. You are listening to the Sports Objective, the official unofficial podcast of the Pirates. Welcome into the Sports Objective here, and another great episode is anytime we can talk about baseball and Bubba with our very special guest. We waited to after the College World Series for for good reason to have him on, right? I guess there, there you go, Bubba. Uh, well, we're having some technical difficulties uh, with because obviously with the storm going on, we're having. Unfortunately, we wanted her to be like Jason to let her go, but Elsa's with us, and uh, so we're having to deal with that. Bubba is actually at Oak Island, so uh, bear with him. We're trying to get him on as much as possible. But with us from D1 Baseball, a legendary guy that we uh, think a lot of, Aaron Fett. How are you, Aaron? I'm doing great, Dave. It's uh, good to be talking baseball with you guys. Anytime you can talk baseball, right? Uh, my son right now is going through All-Stars, so I feel like my my world, not that it's a, I mean, there's worse things you could do. You could actually work for a living. Yeah. <laughs> so when I'm not working, I'm actually the baseball diamond. So um, with the all-stars and uh, eight and under right now, locally with him. so we're dealing with that at a local level. Then we have East Carolina uh, I, uh, with, uh, we wanted to talk about that. There's a lot of news there. Uh, we're going to miss coach Dietz, but very happy with him with Cal state Fullerton. We can talk about that. We have Austin Knight who is uh, moves up from the volunteer assistant. Now the pitching coach, uh, there's obviously all the different uh, coaching carousel. I, I can't keep up with it. I know you guys do that for a living. I think there's over 30, was it 36 different coaching changes or something like that in college baseball? Uh, Bubba reminded me, I knew it was a lot. I didn't know the exact number, uh, but there's a lot of topics we can dive into. But first, I guess with uh, we can start with East Carolina uh, with a recap. Uh, we'll talk about their season and then we'll talk about the College World Series. Um, but uh, you guys were very good to us as far as uh, giving us cred after the fact and uh, with the Super Regionals. And I know that it was a, a tough draw for East Carolina to get Vanderbilt. But uh, I, I wanted, first of all, for the, on behalf of Pirate Nation, thank you for the kind words you guys were talking about because it was certainly difficult, even though we know that we have a great season, we have a great program. Um, to get that monkey off our back mm. is going to be nice in Omaha eventually. Yes. It's going to happen. You know, we're, we're so, it's so close now. You can almost taste it. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty amazing really that it hasn't happened yet. Um, but uh, I'll tell you, I mean, if they got a different draw, you know, this team was an Omaha team and it's just, gosh, it's so hard to go in there and beat two of the top five picks in the draft, you know, on the, on their own field. Uh, and, and boy, East Carolina gave them everything they could. I mean, they, I thought the way Gavin Williams pitched and the way Carson Wisenhut pitched and that ECU bullpen, I mean, um, they did everything they possibly could have done. Gavin was awesome in particular. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's just a, just a really tough matchup, but it's, it's boy, it's going to happen really soon. I'm, I'm, I'm confident about that. Let me ask you as far as being an expert when it comes to uh, college baseball, it seems like the Pirates are so close now in the last handful of years with being a national seed, meaning that if they win their regional, they'll host a super. How close are the Pirates yeah. to doing that? Yeah, you're right. I mean, what, I guess it was 2019. Um, I mean, they had a real case, you know, you could, you can make a real case. They deserved it more than 
uh, some of the teams that did get it. And, and just one of those years where the, the conference needs to be a little stronger, you know, to help boost that strength of schedule ranking and all that stuff. Uh, it's it's got to happen in, in a really strong year for the league, I think, because, I mean, what else could ECU have done that year? I mean, they just totally dominated the conference just like they did this year. Um, but the league just wasn't good enough. And so, uh, you know, it's it's just unfortunate. It's a reality for, for a mid-major. And, I mean, you know, Coastal Carolina's had to do that too, but they got their chance once or twice to be a, be a national seed, uh, I think. If I'm not mistaken, I think they they, they they were national seed once. I mean, University of San Diego did it once back in the day. Um, you see Santa Barbara. I mean, you know, there have been teams that have been able to pull it off, and I think that's kind of the model that you look at. And, and that does make a difference, you know, for sure. If, if you're at home for Super Regional, especially in front of that crowd in Greenville, uh, what a huge advantage. No doubt about it. And, and one thing that we always talk about, Aaron, is that they don't necessarily have to host a Super Regional to make it to Omaha. We were so close in 2016 – Go down to Texas Tech, and you're 90 feet away two different times. You're very, very close, yeah. uh, and and unfortunately didn't happen. But the one thing about it, I think the program is obviously in good hands with a great coach. Um, another question I have for Pirate fans are curious, not that it matters now. It's a moot point with uh, Cliff Godwin being uh, in the mix as far as LSU and Mississippi. But how close do you think he was? Was he right there at number two? Was he like the next guy to be picked if uh, – if Arizona's coach doesn't get it? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, that LSU search was was all over the map, really. I mean, I think it was clear they wanted to bring in a guy that had been a head coach for an Omaha team. I mean, that's why they talked to Pat Casey first. And, um, you know, there was a lot of blowback about that from the LSU fan base. And I think Case and, and uh, LSU kind of came to a mutual understanding that that's not a good fit. And so, you know, they kind of looked at some other big ticket guys out there um, and they, they, they went with Jay Johnson because he's, you know, he's been to Omaha twice uh, as head coach now in five years at Arizona. So um, that said, I mean, I don't know how, how far down the road they got with, with Cliff. I mean, it, it does feel like, you know, Cliff's not in a hurry to go anywhere. And I mean, I don't know that he could have turned down LSU. I mean, that's, maybe the best job in college baseball. Uh, but uh, I don't know that it was a slam dunk. I mean, really, you know, that's uh, if, if it even had been offered to him, um, he probably would have to think about it because he's so passionate about East Carolina. And, um, you know, again, I don't know. I mean, would, would he have taken it? Probably. Right. Uh, but uh, uh, boy, he's happy where he is and he's really on a mission to get this program to Omaha. No doubt. And with being a disciple of coach Keith LeClaire, who would have ever thought that, when the athletic director at the time, Mike Hamrick, hired that guy. I remember this is how far I go back with that whole Keith LeClaire thing. If my memory serves me right, I believe that our interview with him, not my interview, but the station I was working for at the time, I was a young guy in broadcasting. I was helping set up a, a live broadcast at a Denny's in Greenville, North Carolina. And that it was the first interview that Keith LeClaire ever did. Hmm. And I remember him talking. The reason I bring that up to you, that's the first time I remember – a coach in East Carolina talking about Omaha being college baseball. And we think a lot of coach Gary Overton and there's been a million great coaches over the years. Uh, baseball has a rich tradition in East Carolina, but the first one that had everybody believing about Omaha talking about Omaha with the players as coach Godwin has talked about is Keith LeClaire. And you look at, at all the great guys across college baseball. It's just amazing how one man can make such a huge difference and have a lot of great guys in the coaching tree, so to speak. Yeah. And, you know, I, I can tell you that I only met coach LeClaire once uh, and it was in, I think it was 2005, right when they opened the new ballpark. It was the Keith LeClaire classic that year. 
Um, and, and I have just this, this lasting memory, Arizona State was at that tournament and the entire Arizona State team went up there uh, to the suite where Coach LeClaire was sitting and just kind of paid their respects, you know, because this is just a, a really incredible man, you know, and, and what he built at, at, in Greenville is going to last, you know, forever. And just the way he did it, the way he went about it, um, just a really larger than life figure in, in, our, in our sport. Uh, one of the things to talk about, and I'm sorry, I was going to uh, let you talk just a second, Bubba. I didn't know you were with us. We'll, uh, we'll let you do that next. Jason, Jason Dietrich, uh, we've had him for two seasons, basically a season and a half because of, unfortunately, the pandemic. But really happy for him personally. It hurts for us in Pirate Nation. We totally get it, uh, being a product alum of that. That's your, you know, probably one of your dream jobs. And he's such a great name and did a great job for the Pirates. But just want to get your thoughts on him moving to Cal State Fullerton, taking yeah. his alma mater. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he's a stud. He has been for a long time. And um, you're right. I mean, just kind of grateful to have him there for a couple of years in Greenville. Um, the timing worked out where he was between jobs. And I mean, he did a great job with that staff. Just look at the way Gavin Williams developed. I mean, that's that's exhibit A right there. Um, he really got the most out of that guy. But, you know, there were a bunch of other guys, too, that just got a lot better under his tutelage. He, he's just... Um, you know, whether he's at UC Irvine or Fullerton or Oregon or ECU, I mean, his guys always get better. Really, really uh, great presence about him, knows the game. You know, I've always thought I've always thought of him as a really great teacher of the changeup, but I thought it was interesting um, how some of the breaking balls in this staff really got better this year as well. Um, so, you know, he's going to do really good things in Fullerton. I thought that was a good hire for them. Yeah, you talk about um, Coach Dietrich moving on to Cal State Fullerton, Austin Knight, who'd been on staff and really been his right-hand man the last couple seasons. Uh, someone uh, had those Ole Miss ties and then had been in the volunteer role um, here in Greenville. Uh, just you could almost see that, that Cliff was grooming him for that spot and Coach Dietrich was grooming him for that spot. Um, you know, should something like this happen? Um, and obviously Coach Godwin um, knew that it was a high probability. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I, I don't really know Austin except by reputation. And I remember him as a player, of course, but um, you know, it's been weird the last two years, uh, not really having a chance to meet, you know, hang out with guys in person. Usually you go down to the field, you, you kind of chit chat with all the staff. You kind of get to know uh, some of the younger assistants on the staff and haven't really had that chance because of the pandemic and um, you know, all the COVID protocols and everything, you got to do everything over the phone and zoom. Uh, so I haven't really gotten a chance to know Austin, but uh, certainly he's regarded as a rising star and uh, seems like a like a natural progression for him. I we, talked, we talked about Gavin Williams. Um, obviously, Gavin with I mean, he was already, you know, right there, fringe first round or probably uh, early second round. But with what he did against Vanderbilt, um, kind of catapulted himself into the first round in most people's opinions. Um, yeah, all you also have, excuse me, Connor Norby, who's um, a first rounder in some people's opinion, and at the very least, uh, probably a second rounder. Um, what, are, what are your thoughts on that? And just the way Coach Godwin, Jeff Palumbo, and this staff have continued to stockpile more talent. Um, this would be the first time, if that were to happen, that East Carolina has had multiple first round draft mm -hmm. picks in the same year. Yeah, and it could happen. I, I probably wouldn't bet on it happening. Um, you know, I think Norby probably is a second rounder. I mean, could even slip to early third. He could go in the first. I mean, you know, for me, I, I think his his profile is similar to that of, of Justin Foscue, who was a first round pick out of Mississippi State um, a year or two ago. 
you know, offensive kind of second baseman and really, you know, feel the hit is special, controls the strike zone, you know, runs better than you think, drives the ball the other way. Um, it's, it's not like the sexiest tools in the world, uh, but he does everything pretty well. I mean, he even runs pretty well. Uh, and, and that speed plays up. So uh, I could see him sticking into the first round. I think more likely second round. Um, and Gavin, I, you know, it's a tough one because I, I think you're right. I think he probably pushed himself into the first round, but uh, there's other guys that have, you know, longer track records and are maybe a year younger um, that could push him into the second as well. So uh, I could see both those guys going first round or I could see him both going second round, but um, you know, it's, it's regardless. I mean, their development has been awesome to watch and, and the staff deserves a ton of credit for that. And the players deserve a ton of credit for that. You know, I remember, talking with, with Cliff Godwin about Norby and uh, they had a conversation and kind of a hard conversation. I think it was early last spring um, about his future and, and what he needed to do. And, you know, Connor took it to heart and he just took it to another gear. I mean, just the, the, the buy, talk about the buy-in, you know, it's one of those things that coaches always talk about. This kid bought in a hundred percent and, and turned himself into it. Just a, a star, a huge star. And Dave, very quickly to follow up on Connor Norby, you talk about the way he runs Aaron. Um, you know, really, we had had a pretty small sample size in terms of Connor Norby. Um, he had played a little bit as a as a freshman. Then last year, we had everything that happened with 17 games. And then this year, early in the season down at Georgia Southern, he had that collision with Lane Hoover uh, when he was going out on a ball and Lane was coming in in right field. And um, he took a took the face to the quad. And so he was battling that for the majority of the year. And then the last few weeks of the season, you could really see um, the type of speed he had. Yeah, that's, that's right. And it's definitely somebody that, you know, is more athletic maybe than you think at first glance. I mean, it's, uh, uh, you know, and the defense will continue to improve too. I mean, I think he's a, he's a solid defender already, but um, you know, I think that's an area where he can continue to to clean some things up and, and get better and better. I, I definitely think he profiles as an everyday second baseman in the major leagues. And that's become a very offensive position. You got to hit now to be a regular second baseman and he's going to hit. There's no doubt about that. Uh, two things I want to ask you first. I want to, uh, as far as Connor Norby is a perfect example of Coach Godwin, but one of the things I love about college baseball, maybe uh, lower levels, uh, all the way down to uh, having a, a farm league team like I coached this year, didn't know what I was doing, but uh, we still um, we still survived. But as far as player development, how how huge is that, do you think? for? Uh, it seems like one of the top things for Cliff Godwin, and that's uh, just proof right there of how yeah. Connor Norby really, uh, I know it's like such a cliche, but his draft stock went way up this season. Yeah, you're right. It's a, uh, it's a great point. You know, player development is, I mean, everyone talks about recruiting is the lifeblood of your program and East Carolina recruits really well. Uh, but you also gotta, you gotta develop guys, you know, I mean, players have to get better and uh, they do both those things so well. I mean, really East Carolina, they run a model program. Um, it's, it's just so impressive how well that coaching staff does all the important things you have to do. And I mean, they're just humming along at such a high level right now. It's, uh, it's, it's something to behold. Aaron, uh, moving on from the pirates, um, you know, obviously you were out in Omaha for the duration, um, talk about Mississippi States, um, and you know, the Bulldogs 12th trip to Omaha. They, they finally win it all. 
Yeah, how about that? Uh, it's kind of amazing that they hadn't won at all, you know, before now, considering how many great teams they had over the years, how many great players they've had, you know, rich tradition, certainly those teams in the 80s, you know, with, with Rafael Palmiro, Will Clark, and Bobby Thigpen, um, you know, they're, they're kind of legendary teams in college baseball, but this is the group that got them over the hump, and, and I think it kind of shows you the value of experience. Um, you know, you had a veteran core in this team that had got – few guys that have been to, you know, three straight college world series, uh, and a bunch of super regionals as well. I mean, um, you know, Tanner Allen and, and, and Rowdy Jordan leading the way. Um, those guys had so much, so much, um, familiarity with that huge stage in Omaha and it kind of got the feeling they just weren't going to let that team lose. And, you know, you need, you need guys like that if you're going to elevate your program, but they also had, you know, two real special weapons on the mound uh, with Will Bednar and, and, and Landon Sims at the back of the bullpen. Uh, it feels like most champions, you know, national champions, they have at least one guy that can give them three outings in Omaha and just kind of shut, shut down the opposition. Then you got to have that, that real stud closer. That's just lights out. I mean, if you think back to all the champions we've seen, they almost all have those two things. And, uh, and you know, Mississippi State, even though some of their other pieces kind of fell off on the mound, they, they had enough depth they could kind of cover it and, and patch it together. Um, but uh, they, they just, you know, one of those teams where it feels like the sum was better than the parts. I mean, there were some flaws on that team, but uh, they got better at the end of the year. They, they played perfect defense in Omaha. They didn't make an error. Um, Vanderbilt made 13 errors in Omaha. So I thought that was pretty, pretty jarring. It just kind of showed you Mississippi State was really sharp out there. And Vanderbilt really wasn't. And Aaron, as far as Mississippi State, going back to what you were saying, it, it I remember when I saw them win that, it just it amazes me that with all the talent they've had over the years, um, you were talking about Will Clark and Palmero. I remember them growing up as a kid, a teenager in the 80s, and you think about all that, that you would think they would already have a handful of titles by now. And then not only that, but the bigger picture for Mississippi State, I didn't realize, uh, it makes sense, but that's their first national championship in any sport. And I, I couldn't believe that. I was like, I, I knew about obviously the college baseball piece of things, but, and obviously basketball and football, but I, I did not know that's their first one. So you have a lot of athletes who are really proud that yeah. they have been a part of Mississippi state over the years, never won anything. And they finally got it done in Omaha. And so there's a lot of uh, athletes that are, I guess they have the, the, their monkey off the bat, so to speak. Yeah. Dak Prescott was there, you know, cheering them on and, uh, I ran into to Roy Oswalt, uh, the Hilton lobby, and he didn't go to Mississippi State, but he was committed to go there, and he signed out of high school. He's a huge, you know, fan of, of the program. He lives right there in Oxford. Uh, I mean, God, don't don't tell anyone I said that. He lives right there in Starkville. Um, you know, but uh, you're right. I mean, 999 seasons that athletic program has 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 competed in various sports, and this is their first championship right before they get to a thousand. So, yeah, you can tell that one means a lot to him. In addition to um, the Bulldogs, obviously, um, being the top story and um, some of the other things um, with the College World Series, obviously, you hate to talk about it in one sense, but what happened to NC State? And I, I heard your comments on it. Sure, they, you know, they could have uh, they could have been vaccinated. That that was those players' individual decisions. But um, just just talk about your thoughts on that. And I know Kendall had an excellent article on the topic. Yeah, it was unfortunate. You know, that's not how anyone wanted it to go. That's not how Vanderbilt wanted it to go. Uh, I hated that, you know, Vanderbilt got villainized because they happened to advance, you know, not their fault. Uh, it wasn't the NCAA's fault either. I mean, you got eight positive tests 
it's an outbreak. What else can you do? I mean, you know, the, the protocols are the protocols. It's all written in advance. I mean, we went through this all season long. How many teams that had two week COVID pauses? Um, you know, a lot. And uh, it's not something that you can just clear up the next day. Uh, you know, and there's just no other way the NCAA could have handled it. I mean, they, they could have been more communicative during the process. Uh, too much of it was behind closed doors and just, you know, people were wondering what the heck was going on unnecessarily. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad they at least spoke with, with Kendall for that piece you mentioned, kind of laying out the timeline to kind of get the record straight. But, um, you know, I mean, I hate it for NC State. They were playing great baseball. I mean, they had a really, really good team, and they were playing their best baseball at the perfect time. Um, and then and then that happens. But ultimately, I mean, they knew the consequences. You know, you, if you choose not to get vaccinated, whether or not you think it's a, a health priority, whether or not you think you're at risk, or whether or not you're worried about spreading it to anybody else, you know one thing you're dramatically increasing your risk of getting tied up in the COVID protocols at the wrong, the wrong time, because, you know, vaccinated players weren't subject to random tests. And that's why Texas had their entire team vaccinated hundred percent of their travel party. They didn't want to take that chance. And so you're playing with fire. I mean, if more than half your team is unvaccinated, that's on you guys. I mean, it's, it stinks, but that's just got to look in the mirror. Well, along those lines, Aaron, we were talking about for the very fact of how many other programs outside of baseball were going hey, we could be like NC State. I wonder how many vaccinations were increased. And then, Bubba, I know that uh, there was there's like 112. Most of the ECU football team locally in Greenville um, have been vaccinated, right? Yeah, you heard Mike Houston mention um, in a recent interview, uh, 111 plus out of 126. Wow. But, um, you know, just getting to think about uh, what happened to NC State and – it wasn't even so much the, the positive test, but the, the positive test to vaccinated individuals that made you really think, well, what could this potentially mean uh, moving into college football season? Uh, just fingers crossed that something like that won't – there won't be an outbreak of a different, you know, different variants and all, all the things that uh, you are concerned about. Yeah, there's a lot of un unanswered questions, and you're right. I mean, um, I think that, that particular – piece that you mentioned, the four vaccinated players testing positive, it raises more questions. But, you know, I mean, Bubba, uh, Boo Cunningham in his statement, um, uh, Boo Corrigan, excuse me, you know, the athletic director for NC State, um, you know, he said, hey, uh, I mean, even the vaccinated players, there's, it's, it's much less severe for them, you know, I mean, if, if you test, if, if you get it. Um, and so, you know, I guess that's, that's the, the science behind it. I'm not an expert on the science behind it, but they say it reduces the risks if you do get it again. So I don't know. I mean, I just think we're, we're all better off if, if more people are vaccinated and hopefully that continues to happen. Absolutely. I agree. Uh, I was just, you know, I was looking more from the perspective of the impact it had on, you know, not being able to compete and stuff, yeah. but, uh, yeah, I agree with you. Um, as far as as far as what I know, which obviously isn't very much compared to compared to um, those in the medical field. No question about it. Do uh, you want to go ahead and uh, we have uh, fans that want to chime in uh, for you, Aaron? Com I know comments. So, do you want to go ahead and put those up, Bubba? Josh O'Neill says, "Go Pirates!" Great to have you on, Aaron. He's uh, He's one of those great guys uh, in the jungle, by the way. I want to give him a shout out uh, there, Aaron, that you know very well. A good friend of mine and a great pirate player, Bagley, says, welcome to Pirate Nation, Aaron. Another great guy who uh, that goes to baseball games and a lot of pirate events. So uh, thank you uh, very much, Blair. But there's a lot if you want to peep. Hey, uh, Mark Calloway says, hey, guys. Uh, so, in fact, when we were talking about the pairing of Vanderbilt and the tough out that we had there, 
he said we should have been paired against number five Arizona. A lot of Pirate fans were talking about that even when we got way early on when we got the regional. So hmm. uh, one of our colleagues, uh, Brendan Shapiro, says, I don't think we should be considered mid-major baseball. Uh, we have more proven more that we've belonged in the high majors. Well, yeah, certainly. I mean, the, you know, it's a top 25 program, but it's in a mid-major conference. I mean, that, that's what we're talking about when we say mid-majors. We're not talking about the program. But the American is, you know, was it a, uh, one bid league this year? They get, I think, they get two? Maybe they got two. Yeah, we, yeah, we had USF make USF, that run USF. to the, the Supers. But, but yeah, it was looking like a one bid league until USF's run through the conference tournament. Right. And so, I mean, you know, it's just it just is what it is. I mean, you don't have Power 5 money. Your mid-major conference, that's just the definition of it. So, but, but I mean, we do our program rankings every two years. I think East Carolina has been in the top 30 uh, every year we, we've done it, you know, ahead of a lot of those quote unquote power five teams. So yes, we regard East Carolina as, as a, as a power program, just in a mid-major league, like Cal State Fullerton. I mean, you know, Cal State Fullerton's got four national titles. They're still, they're a mid-major. I mean, you know, they, they might be baseball royalty, but they're, they're in a mid-major league. It's just, it is what it is. And losing a team like Connecticut uh, to the Big East, uh, that hurt uh, the yeah. Pirates too. No doubt about it. I mean, UConn's got a really good program. And, um, you know, maybe Wichita State can get it going and kind of help fill that gap a little bit. I, I do actually like Eric Wedge and the coaching staff out there, uh, Mike Pelfrey. You know, those guys uh, seem like they know what they're doing. You know, it's uh, it's early yet. They're, they're still kind of learning the ropes as college coaches. But uh, I, I think they got a chance to get that program going, which will help the league. Aaron, before we move on, and we have a couple more comments, Josh O'Neill chimes in again and said, do you have any input on Burley's hot start to pro ball? Uh, I have not seen the numbers, but I'm not surprised. Uh, that guy is awesome. I mean, I thought, you know, one of the best pure hitters in that draft, um, you know, I mean, he was, I've made the case, I think a few times that he was the most valuable player in college baseball, um, for, maybe over the course of his whole three years because of the two-way value he, that he provided, but certainly, you know, in his, his junior year, I mean, who else impacts the game? the way he did on both sides. Uh, just a really, really talented guy, and I'm not surprised to hear that he's doing well in pro ball. Before we move on from the uh, Omaha participants this year, um, I wanted to call a few things uh, to attention. You know, like Texas, um, they certainly hadn't fallen off the map by any means, but, um, you know, they had been down by their standards for a few years. Um, David Pierce, what a job he's done there. And then also, uh, same thing with Stanford, uh, moving on from Mark Marquis and, uh, and, you know, now into a different era and the job that uh, uh, I'm drawing David, a blank on yeah. is it Aker, uh, David Esker. D David Esker. Uh, I knew that didn't sound right. David Esker, um, you know, who's a Stanford guy, had been on Mark Markle's staff and then did an excellent job at Cal. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, it, it definitely feels like those are two blue blood programs that are kind of back now, you know. And for Stanford, uh, before this year, I don't think they had been to the World Series since 2009. If I'm not mistaken, it's been a while. Um, and so for them, you know, this is this was kind of like getting back over that hump. And, and they had one of those deals two years ago where, where you know, they were close. Um, they were in a super regional. They had a really good team. They just kind of got steamrolled by Mississippi State out there in Starkville in a, in a wild atmosphere. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, do, I do think Esther and, and – uh, uh, David Pierce. I mean, those are the right guys for those two programs and programs that have a lot of momentum right now. No doubt about it. We have uh, more people chiming in. We'll get to those in uh, just a second. But certainly, uh, Aaron, when uh, you're talking about the College World Series, well, as far as not having fan, uh, not having, I should say, a College World Series, and now you had it this year. What uh, 
what, what was the atmosphere like? Was it any different or did you notice anything different? Someone that's been there a lot uh, certainly was crazy. I was telling the guys that was one of to me last year, knowing how great the Pirates, uh, you know, you'll never know uh, same. You could fill in the blank, whatever team it is, how good they would do because the season was cut so short mm. because of the pandemic. But was there any differences this year for uh, the College World Series or just pretty much same old thing? I mean, there were there were some annoyances um, from a protocol standpoint. I mean, you know, as a as a, as a whiny, selfish media guy, I was bummed that uh, um, you know we didn't have in person interviews. You know, um, it's just not the same over the Zoom. It makes it a lot harder to get good stories. Um, but I'm, I'm glad we had a series, and uh, you know, the, the the capacity crowds were nice. I mean, um, I know people people raise the the issue of well, you got all these potentially unvaccinated people roaming around in these packed concourses, and then you know the dichotomy between that and the players on the field. I get it, uh, but you know the NCAA isn't responsible for the fans; they're responsible for the players. Uh, but uh, you know, I did like the atmosphere out there. I thought it was cool. Um, you know, it was it was it felt like everybody was just so happy to have sports back and to have this event back at hundred percent capacity. And, you know, the town of Omaha, the way they embrace that event um, it's, it's really special. And everywhere you go, people are talking college baseball and you see people everywhere wearing their gear and the old market is buzzing and the Drover, you know, is uh, uh, every night you go in there and it's a who's who of college baseball. Everyone knows that's where you go to get your steak. Um, and so all that stuff was back kind of like usual. A moment ago, Aaron, we were talking about Burley, um, Josh chimes back in. He said, you know, between his time in Peoria and now double A Springfield, he is um, hitting 289 with 11 mm. bombs, 36 runs driven in, in 218 at bats. Wow. That'll play. That'll play. And he's, you know, the, the power too is, is one of those things that's going to really come. I mean, he hit a ton of doubles in college. Um, I, I like the guys that really know how to hit and they're doubles hitters. Um, because then as they get stronger and they mature physically, I mean, you know, I think we all know the, uh, typically the power doesn't really peak until you're in your mid twenties. And so if you, you know how to hit already and a lot of those doubles are going to turn into home runs, but I also think he's just going to continue to hit for average because he controls the strike zone so well. And he's got such good bat to ball, uh, skills. No question about it. He's one of the all time greats. And he was one of those players that, uh, we wish that we could have for 10 years and not just a few. We understand why they why they leave and all that. But uh, those players like him don't come around every day. But uh, having said that, uh, with recruiting, as far as East Carolina is going, I know you talked about the good job. Are there uh, guys that you know about that are coming to East Carolina that we should watch out for? That is not um, – oops, not my area of expertise. I got cat problems over here. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. <laughs> well, we're having a battle with the cats here for those that are listening yeah. to the podcast and not watching us live. My daughter's cat, Confetti, came <laughs> up, and so uh, I feel your pain, my friend. I'm just glad the dogs haven't started barking yet. We'll see if we can keep those quiet. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, what I do now, I really focus just on the guys that are in school. Uh, okay. Once we get past the draft, I'll, I'll really start bearing down on that stuff. I'm kind of leaning on our partners over at Prep Baseball Report. They do an awesome job covering the the prep game. Um, so if, if anyone's interested in, you know, the East Carolina class, I urge you to check those guys out at, at uh, Prep Baseball Report. Uh, I'm sure they've got breakdowns of all those recruits. Okay, Go definitely. Going back to the coaching carousel, we talked about the LSU job. Obviously, 
went to Jay Johnson, Cliff Godwin, and then also uh, Link Jarrett and Notre Dame were some of the finalists. Um, then we talked about Cal State Fullerton, Texas A&M. That's another job that Cliff's name immediately came up for because of the connection between um, A.D. Ross Bjork, who had been at Ole Miss when Cliff was there on Mike Bianco's staff. Um, just what are your thoughts on Coach Schlossnagel coming over yeah. from TCU? Yeah, that's a, talk about a splashy hire. You know, a guy that's been to Omaha, what, four times, I think, as a head coach. Um, you know, one of the the great coaches in our game. And um, for him, I think it was a matter of, I think he views A&M as a giant job. And, you know, it's it's a public school. It's a massive public school, you know, with incredible resources. Frankly, just a lot more resources at their disposal than TCU. And you're in the SEC. You know, that's the, the glitz and glamour. That's 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 the best competition we have to offer in college baseball. That's where all your games are on the SEC network. And, uh, you know, it's just that's the cream of the crop. And so I think he was ready for that um, after a, a hell of a run at TCU. But, uh, you know, it worked out fine for TCU, too, because Kirk Sarlos was a natural fit to replace him. The, you know, the pitching coach there under Schloss, um, that guy is a, is a star. I mean, there's just. You know, he turned down other really good jobs. He, he was in the Stanford mix uh, a couple of years ago and wanted to stay put. And I think part of that was because he thought maybe, you know, maybe he could be the head guy in, in Fort Worth and um, he'll do a good job there. One of the more intriguing hires was at Arizona State with Willie Bloomquist. Uh, talk about him and the staff he's assembled. And he recently named Travis Buck. And yeah. you referenced that Keith LeClaire Classic back in um, the first year of the ballpark in 2005. And what a field that was, six teams in it that year instead of just four. And uh, it had the likes of Arizona State, Georgia, um, North Carolina, Michigan, and Ohio State. Mm -hmm. And uh, I believe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't Travis Buck um, on that yep. team with uh, Dustin Pedroia? Uh, Buck was definitely on the team. I think it was the year after Pedroia. Uh, but yeah, that was a really good Arizona state team. They were an Omaha team that year. You know, Jeff Larish, of course had like a three home run game in Omaha. So has a really, really loaded, loaded club. Uh, but yeah, he's, you know, he's well-regarded. Um, you know, it seems like he, uh, he, he did a good job up there at Boise state before they, they folded the program during the pandemic. They just started it up and they folded it, which was too bad. But, um, you know, former big leaguer that I think has more feel for the college game than some of the former big leaguers that you see come in. Um, so yeah, I, I did like that hire. And then, um, you know, Mike Goff, a guy from pro ball that has a good reputation. I don't know him at all. Uh, you know, you'd like to see maybe a little bit more recruiting experience with your staff up there. And I thought it was interesting that Arizona, um, you know, they kind of, when Chip Hale, they hired another guy from a big league staff, uh, Tigers, you know, uh, um, assistant coach. Uh, he came in and kind of took a shot at the lack of, of recruiting experience on, on the ASU staff, which I, which I thought was funny considering, you know, he's a, he's a, coming from the big leagues also, but he's got Dave Lawn there, who at least has been a, in college baseball for decades, you know, so they can kind of, I think you need that. You need somebody who's, who's really knows his way around because it's a different job. I mean, you know, recruiting is so different uh, than anything you do in pro ball. And uh, that'll be interesting to see how that plays out at Arizona state with guys that don't have a lot of recruiting experience. Aaron, one of the programs that's fallen in recent years, obviously in the state of Texas and Houston, there is rice. Um, what after, of course, Wayne Graham being there, what about, uh, with rice with the owls, do you think that they're going to, uh, pick things up and finally be back in contention again? Well, that's an interesting one. Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, again, Jose Cruz jr. Zero experience in college baseball. He's a great player in the big leagues. 
Um, he went to Rice a long time ago, but like, he got a lot to prove to me. And you know, I, I frankly haven't been blown away by the the hires that they've made on their staff. They're not a lot of known commodities, so uh, lots of proof. I mean, you know, that, that program had it rolling for a long time, and then you know, I know it started to dip toward the end there under Wayne Graham, but they were still winning and going to regionals. And um, you know, Wayne was kind of forced to retire, I think. I mean, he was old, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I love coach Graham, but he's an old man. Uh, and I suppose his time had come, but they just kind of haven't been the same since then, you know, and, and uh, I don't know if we'll see them get back to that level, you know, where they, they won the national title in 2003. I mean, they were fixture in Omaha year over year and it feels like maybe those days are over. Couple more coaching changes I wanted to touch on uh, that were intriguing for different reasons. On uh, Utah, you had Gary Henderson. Uh, just talk about that because uh, for folks who don't recall, uh, he was the uh, coach of the year in college baseball back in 2018 when he took over at Mississippi State and led the Bulldogs to uh, Omaha. And um, he took over for Bill Kennenberg, who had been there in Salt Lake City for nearly two decades. Yeah, and I'm really happy for for Coach Henderson to have that opportunity. He's been through some some difficult things in his personal life the last couple of years. Um, you know, lost his son, and uh, you know, just a really really good man. And uh, you know, and he's got a great track record. I mean, the year that you know Mississippi State had to fire Andy Canizzaro right at the start of the season, uh, tough situation. And Gary took over, was interim head coach that year, and led him to Omaha, and didn't get the job. You know, and that was that was not easy for him. And for that, of course, he was at, you know, Kentucky and took that program to a few regionals and you know, had coached the national player of the year in AJ Reed, you know, developed a lot of talent there. Um, Oregon state, he had some success as a pitching coach. So, I mean, he's, he's been around the game a long time, great baseball man, really good person. And uh, seems like a good fit for him out there. I think he could, he could do some, some good things uh, at Utah. Lastly, with us being based out of North Carolina, one that I found interesting was High Point. Um, obviously chose to go in a different re- direction from Craig Cozart, but Joey Hammond came over from Wake Forest. He'd been the volunteer assistant there. Wake had put up tremendous offensive numbers. Uh, he's a former Charlotte 49er in the mid to late 90s, and he had um, had a lot of success there in High Point at Westchester Country Day, a private school, uh, won three state titles. Hmm. I didn't realize that that the high school background. So you knew, knew more about it than I did, um, but uh, I know that you know he's he's a really sharp guy. You know, just uh, that Wake Forest staff they they really liked him a lot, um, and uh, you know, it's one of those things where it's like volunteers in the title, but it's like you're you're you know you're basically a full time coach. You just don't get benefits. <laughs> it's a stupid system, uh, but he's he's got a lot of experience and and I think is very well regarded. So yeah, I'll be interested to see what he can do there. With that, with that being said, with the volunteer assistant, I was going to ask you earlier on with Austin Knight moving up from volunteer assistant to that. In fact, uh, Josh Thomas chimed in on that. Any thoughts on Austin Knight being moved up to the pitching coach for ECU? I know we addressed that earlier, but if you wanted to talk about that again. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it seems like a, like a natural progression like we talked about before. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a highly regarded guy. And uh, I, I feel like Cliff doesn't really miss with his staff hires. I mean, it seems like he's hit on every single one. So if, if he sees this guy is, is a, a rising star, I think he's right. Um, because his track record kind of speaks for itself. I was talking to uh, one of uh, the parents of a team and the all-stars and they didn't realize about the whole issue with volunteer assistance. Uh, in fact, Austin Knight was running the camp for coach Godwin. His son was there 
last week, and we were talking about that last night, and I was telling him this a travesty in college baseball that we really need to – I knew you were coming on, so I want to ask this question. Uh, when can we – when is the Ooh. next time up for the very fact that it's not a mandate, but you have the opportunity to hire another assistant? It's crazy that we live in, in the world of college baseball, and it's a rising sport. It keeps growing and growing every single year. I know there's some schools that may not be able to afford it. That's fine. But when can we get to that point when we can hire another assistant like East Carolina? Coach Godwin will definitely yeah. do it. Yeah, we definitely thought we were going to get it passed a couple of years ago. Um, you know, there's a strong push made. And, um, you know, the ADs just let us down. I mean, you know, it's 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 stunk. Um, I don't know what else can be done to, to, to make them realize that there's no reason not to not to at least allow the schools that want to hire, you know, to, to pay that volunteer, make him a full-time position, give them that opportunity. And if, and if you can, or you don't want to, you don't have to, um, maybe you think you're, you know, that, that creates a, a disadvantage for your program if you can't afford to do it. But I mean, not really, at least you're getting another coach out on the road. Cause even if, you know, if they, if they were to do that, even if you don't convert that volunteer position to full-time, it at least allows that third coach to get some recruiting experience and um, and kind of eases the the burden on the other two guys who have to do all the uh, all the recruiting. And so there's a lot of reasons to vote for it. Um, I think they're going to try again. Uh, I would I think next year I, I would imagine try to reshape the proposal, maybe do it without softball this time, see if that makes any difference. And uh, you know, fingers crossed. I feel like there's a lot of blowback on the the schools that voted against it last time around, and maybe they'll. They'll, they'll keep that in mind and be more receptive this time. One that comes to mind, Aaron, was the Texas AD. I mean, Texas has more money than God. No, if I know not to be sacrilegious, but <laughs> uh, but we're in the Bible Belt here in North Carolina. But the very fact that, I mean, Texas was, that was the one. I remember that AD, I can't think of his name, but um, they have a lot of money. And to act like that they don't have any money is crazy. Even uh, I know that was pre-pandemic, but even with the pandemic, I know they were hurt with the pandemic like everybody, but uh, they have enough money to afford a th uh, another assistant. That's crazy. And there are so many stories like that. You know, North Carolina, uh, another great baseball program right here in, in our own state. Um, I know Mike Fox was not happy that, 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 that you know, that they voted no. Um, and there are a lot of stories like that where it really created some friction between the coaches and the, and the uh, uh, administration. Along those same lines and in terms of being a topic that is kind of like beating a dead horse, um, Pirate Al, uh, Alan Powell chimes in and says, will they ever up the 11.7 scholarships for college baseball? I think eventually it's going to happen because, you know, we're seeing it with the autonomy stuff with the, the power five kind of driving the, the boat now in, in college athletics and the NCAA losing power. Um, you know, those, most of those power five programs want more scholarships, the SEC in particular. Um, you know, and they have so much influence now. And I think eventually, you know, I don't know what's going to happen if, if, if the NCAA, if they just break off altogether or, you know, whoever wants to come can come, but you know, Hey, you gotta, you know, gotta raise your scholarships. I mean, uh, I don't know, but, but it feels like it's inevitable. Eventually we're going to get there and, uh, how long that'll be anyone's guess, but it feels like the writing's on the wall. Do you have an idea how many they would increase it to from 11.7 to, I mean, I, I know it's a hard, yeah. you know, but pure speculation at this point, you know, no, nobody really knows. It's okay. no, there's nothing in the works. Um, but, uh, uh, I know there's some, some people pushing to make it like a headcount sport, um, which could work if you've got enough, but I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's a complicated issue. It's going to take some time. It's probably going to be messy. Uh, but I think we'll get there eventually. 
pace of play has been a big topic in recent years. Um, the pitch clock was something I heard Kyle Peterson, obviously, who who pitched for an awfully long time uh, at Stanford and as well as in the professional ranks um, this year when, when balls were awarded, um, you know, there in Omaha, he just said that that 20 pitch, 20 second, excuse me, pitch count, um, in his opinion, uh, needed to be adjusted. Uh, wh- what are your thoughts on that? And then also the the efficiency of replay, um, because, uh, you know, Dave, Kyle and I, as well as others, um, you know, we just kind of laughed to ourselves every time you would see a close play, we'd automatically take our hands to our ears. Uh, yep, yeah. there you go. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little much. Um, um, I will say that I'm <sighs> – we got to find a way to make replay better. It's just too disruptive. Um, there's too many reviews and they take too long. And I don't understand why the four umpires got to run to the middle of the field and talk for, you know, 90 seconds before they go check out, you know, the, the, the monitors or the, or the, you know, listen to the people in the booth. I and mean, that just seems stupid. I mean, I, I don't know. There's, there's gotta be ways we can make that better. It's just such a waste of time. Uh, and it just destroys the flow of the game. But I think, uh, as for the pitch count, I mean, I think the biggest issue people had with it was for a lot of the season, it was pretty much not enforced. It was kind of ignored in college baseball. I mean, you see it every once in a while, maybe get somebody get a warning for going too slow, but, and then in Omaha, all of a sudden the umpires decided to make it a point of emphasis out of nowhere. And it was just kind of stupid. Um, but you know, I don't have a particular problem with the pitch clock. I don't think it's a real factor in the game, uh, one way or the other, but just the uneven enforcement was what didn't sit well with people. Aaron now joining us. We have Kyle from LaGrange Barber. I think he would be excellent as the, uh, maybe we can get him to, oversee the replays because uh that way we can just speed up the process I, you think, Kyle? I, I have an idea about replays to me it makes perfect sense unless it's a scoring play uh why don't we do what we what we do in uh in, in the nfl unless it's a scoring play the coaches get one challenge uh they they get to keep their challenge if the if the play is overturned otherwise they get one challenge a game that's your only replay if it's wrong unless it's a scoring play so yeah. Uh, to, to me, that would take care of so many replays. I'm fine with that. I, I mean, I think, frankly, I think that makes a lot of sense. And even if you did two, even if you did two, okay. Uh, but uh, right now, it seems like, you know, especially in the regular season, these coaches, like any close play, they can just go like this and, you know, basically up the umpire's discretion whether or not they want to review a play. And they always do. So it's just, it feels like there's unlimited challenges. And it's just, there were some games. I mean, there was one game in the ACC tournament this year where I'm sitting there and I think there were like seven replays in the first three innings or some crazy thing. And I'm like, what are we doing here? I mean, this is so dumb. Yeah. And, and college football is like that too at times. College football, it doesn't seem quite as disruptive. I, I don't know why, but uh, I, I wish they would also limit the number of replays in college football. Just, just yeah. neither here nor there. Just, just saying. Agreed. Blair Bagley chimes in saying, uh, what about an automated system to call balls and strikes? Yeah, that's something I think is probably inevitable too. Um, and, you know, Major League Baseball has been experimenting with that uh, in, in their kind of their incubator, the Atlantic League. I think it is uh, one of those independent leagues um, where, you know, I think they've got the umpires wearing an earpiece and, you know, track band calls the balls and strikes and, I mean, I think that's probably where we're headed eventually. Uh, I know there are purists who will throw up their arms and make a fuss about it, but um, the strike zones, I mean, I, I don't understand how, you know, you can have all season long figure out who the best umpires are, and then you get to Omaha, and it's like the zones are just all over the place. These are the best guys we got, 
we got to do better. We got to do better. And, and and I'm frankly a fan of the robo zone. If 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 we can get enough certainty that it, it's right, uh, I know there were people who you know over the years have said that the technology just plain wasn't actually good enough. That you know the stuff they show you on TV isn't necessarily completely accurate. I think we're we're there now. I mean, you know, the TrackMan stuff is pretty darn good. I, I think we can we can do better than than what we got right now. Yeah, I had not been a fan of it, but then that super regional at Vandy uh, kind of made me a fan of it. <laughs> but as far as that goes, I know that kind of comes across as sour grapes. Vanderbilt was clearly the better team, uh, and well, even though the even though the Pirates, but you never know. You would like you would like to have seen uh, had some of those like the two that were called probably ten inches off the plate to Seth yeah. Cadell. What, what what may happen? Kamar Rocker doesn't need any more help. You know, exactly. That's my, that's my <laughs> he, point. That's he's good enough. He doesn't need that break that backdoor breaking ball that never came close to the, the plate. I mean, you know, some of that stuff was just mind boggling. And there was one, was that the Cam Cormo or um, uh, Bridges pitch that was, I mean, that we had it was social mm. media. It's right. It was, Cam, it was Cam Colmore. It was, it was about belt, belt high. Yeah, it was a strike. And so that's the problem I have. Uh, I know the guys think I like pick on refs or, um, officials you know or umps in this case you you, you you do but in this case it, it was justified <laughs> or the tulsa football game where we got robbed you see but that's a whole nother no, no, that, that, that it was when espn does a story on it uh, then you you know you were robbed <laughs> yeah but uh that very thing is that those guys are great pitchers obviously but when you know it's like i was thinking about bob uecker from uh, major league just a little bit outside i mean that that was like uh that but Moving forward, uh, as far as the next season, uh, who do you have? Who do you guys think will be the top teams? Do you have like one of those early, way too early top twenty fives that uh, maybe we would we could talk about a little bit? Yeah, we just posted yesterday our our way too early eight for Omaha kind of staff picks, where I think we had all nine of our our regular pickers um, make their their early early calls. And usually when we do this, um, you know, the draft is already over because usually the draft is in June and there's not this crazy transfer portal stuff going on. And so you, you have a lot better feel for what the landscape is going to look like next year. This year, it just feels like throwing darts with a blindfold on. I mean, it's just, there's no clear cut. I think, you know, obvious preseason number one next year, like there usually is. Um, and I feel like usually when we do this exercise, there's four or five teams you can just rattle off and be like, okay, those, those are, there's half my list done right there. Do you have to think about it? Um, and, and a lot of times those teams pan out. I mean, I think I had a couple of years in a row, I went five for eight because it just wasn't that hard. Um, but uh, this year, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's like uh, my, my picks, I think I had LSU. That's a team that we know has already benefited from the transfer portal. They just landed a, f a freshman All-American from Arizona who came along with Jay Johnson. It's a huge get for them. Uh, I got a couple of pieces, I think, that came over. Um, you know, Mississippi State, sure, throw them in there. I mean, they got they got some really talented young arms. If those guys develop, they could be back. Uh, I, like, uh, I like Stanford and Texas, who – both in Omaha this year, Texas in particular. Texas might be the might be the favorite for number one next year, just with some of the core pieces they've got coming back. Um, Vanderbilt, even without Rocker and Lighter, I mean, it's actually a pretty young position player group um, that'll be back next year, and and some of their young arms are exciting. It's just a matter of how they develop, and it's kind of like I put Miami on my list too. That's another team that uh, they had the number one recruiting class in the country this past year. And, you know, those young guys were kind of uneven in their first season, but I mean, the talent is immense and if they can develop, you know, they could be there next year, but there's just so many uncertainties right now. Uh, I, I think my other two teams were Oklahoma state and Oregon state. And 
I mean, there's, there's some young, young guys I like, you know, and we'll see. It's just kind of a, a dice roll right now. No doubt about it. And hopefully the Pirates can uh, be a part of that mix uh, next year. I know we've uh, talked about that a lot with you, but it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, certainly when uh, when the season took place, were there – what surprised – I'll ask you this, looking back from the time, what surprised you this year that maybe from the time, you know, from the preseason to now? Uh, I will say that I expected this to be a banner year for college baseball from a talent standpoint. I mean, everyone talked a lot about it. It was only a five-round draft last year, and all these guys are back that would normally be in pro ball, and maybe you've got more you know, high-profile freshmen coming in because the draft was so short. And um, I, I didn't think the talent level was that great, to be honest with you. I was kind of disappointed with a lot of it. Um, I, I just think a lot of players – suffered from the, the misdevelopment time, you know, and you only have a four week season last year. Uh, a lot of those guys didn't get to play summer ball. I mean, there were some programs that didn't even have fall ball. Uh, and, and I just thought it showed, you know, a lot of players did not take the steps forward that we expected. Uh, I thought strike throwing was disappointing across the country, just not enough strike throwers. And that's the way the game has gone at all levels because everyone's chasing velocity now. And uh, you know, we need, we need to get back to developing some pitchability. And I thought that was uh, that was something that really struck me this year. It's just you look at the arms, and it was just not, not that great. Aaron, as we begin to wind this down, um, you know, obviously this year you didn't have a chance to travel quite as much as you normally would as far as um, across the country and the, you know, out west and so forth. But just talk about some of the ballpark food. Uh, what are some of the ballparks that have maybe the best hot dog and, uh, you know, maybe some unique concession items based on the region, like down in Louisiana or somewhere. Yeah, you do get some good stuff down in Louisiana. I like going to uh, to Lafayette, you know, to see the Cajuns. They, those guys do it upright. And I, I will say that for me, and most of the concessions, places I go, there's not that special. But the good stuff is is when you go out there and hang out with the fans. You know, you go to uh, – the fans will, will cook you up some crawfish out there in, uh, in Lafayette or Baton Rouge or, uh, you know, some sausage and, you know, all the good stuff out there. Go to the left field lounge in, in, in Starkville. Um, you know, just walk around in the outfield. People offer you food. I mean, it's <laughs> it's awesome. Uh, they're, they're out there grilling the whole time. And, I mean, it's just – that's what makes college baseball special for me are some of those really cool atmospheres and, and you know, just the, the fans that it's such an event. It's like, you know, for some of those places, it's like, it's like football is for everyone else. It's just really, really big time. Speaking of that, Josh Thomas says next time you're in Greenville uh, for a game, come out of the jungle. We always have great food and cold beverages. Yeah, I will. I've been meaning to, you know, I, I last time I went to the jungle was probably during the, was it 2019 in the postseason, and it was so cool just hanging out back there a little bit with those guys. But um, you know, I'm always—I feel like I'm always working too hard. I'm at the game. I'm taking pictures and get my radar gun and scoring and running around. And uh, but I need to make time to get out there more often because uh, it's like just one of the coolest atmospheres we got in college baseball. I love it. And you talk about atmospheres. Obviously, you think about you know uh, Duty Noble. You reference uh, Bomb Walker at Arkansas. Uh, Swayze, um, and then obviously Alex Box down at LSU. Um, those are some of the more notable ones, but you know some that may be kind of off the beaten path or less notable. Um, what what are some that stand out in your mind? Yeah, you did hit on probably my four favorites as far as atmosphere is concerned. I mean, those are boy, uh, it's just hard to beat. I mean, I'm, I make a point to make a pilgrimage to the state of Mississippi every year, at least once a year. Um, 
you know, and when I do, I try to hit both Swayze and, and Duty Noble. But also, if you get down to Hattiesburg, uh, that's a great atmosphere down there. I think, you know, Hattiesburg and uh, Southern Miss and, and uh, you know, Louisiana Lafayette we talked about, those are kind of those, like, mid, mid-major conference teams that are powerhouse programs with a lot of history that I kind of compare their atmosphere to what East Carolina has built. Um, it has, a, has kind of a similar feel. So, I mean, I think those stand out. There's not a lot in the West that's great. Um, you know, Arizona and, and Arizona State probably have, and Oregon State, I would say, those three have the best atmospheres. Um, and, you know, I, I think a Saturday night in Tucson is a lot of fun when, uh, you know, they, they serve, you know, they've served beers there and, and the fans are rowdy and it's like a giant party, you know, I mean, they're really, <laughs> they're really into it. Uh, that place is, that place is pretty cool. Um, you know, there's others like, I mean, it's funny, we already talked about Wichita State, but like when Wichita State's rolling, uh, whether it's that stadium is that really tall stadium, they're right on top of you, the double decker thing. Uh, that place is pretty cool. It's just been such a long time since they've really been rolling, but I'd like to like to see that uh, get going again. Um, you know, ACC, there's, you know, Clemson's obviously a really good venue, but I mean, Florida State's is cool, especially in the postseason. Uh, but it's, you know, it's not quite the same level as, as those SEC teams, but um, I would put those teams, those places in the mix as well. And we, we now have beer sales at East Carolina. Yeah. You mentioned beer sales up two times. So. That's true. Most, I guess most places do now, but you know, um, it, it that has definitely changed the dynamic. I think for the better for college baseball. I mean, there's no reason not to have beer sales. Let's not be prudes about this. Well, we've had beer for many years. We just couldn't <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And another thing, um, obviously, Virginia was back in Omaha this year after a few down years by their standards. But um, that ballpark there, Davenport yeah. Field in, uh, in Charlottesville, um, the last time I was there in 20, was 2016 for the regional when East Carolina was in it. But, uh, man, uh, it just continues to get better. Yeah, for sure. They've done a really good job, um, you know, expanding the stadium. And and, uh, and and I think it's an underrated fan base, you know. They'll get 5,100 fans or something for a big weekend, and uh, and they're pretty into the game out there. I, I like that place. I thought Virginia Tech had a great atmosphere this year when I went. I mean, they're, you know, maybe it was, you can call them bandwagoners if you want. They, they haven't been good that much, but, I mean, uh, they were packed in there. You know, all those students were really rowdy, and, um, you know, I guess they get they can get a little mean there sometimes, but, I mean, it's uh, uh, I thought it was one of the better atmospheres, frankly, that I experienced in this weird pandemic season. Uh, I was in Blacksburg, so, and I know Knoxville, I mean, again, let's just call a spade a spade, call a front runner a front runner, but uh, they were really excited about how good the volunteers were this year and I mean, their atmosphere was, was pretty real. I mean, if you saw it on TV, it was, uh, it was loud and rowdy and a lot of fun. I was literally going to ask you about Knoxville. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, and it's one of those things where I think, um, they need to improve the ballpark. Obviously that's going to happen, but they, they love their man, Tony out there, Tony Vitello. And, uh, I think it's really ignited some, some passion up there for, for baseball. Yeah. I haven't been getting football in a while now, yeah. so they're, they're hungry for a winner. Desperate, desperate for a winner, no question. And Aaron, you brought up Louisiana. I thought I was done, but it just struck me when you brought up um, the food down there in, in Lafayette. Um, one of my good buddies, Britt Johnson's uh, you know, third base coach up at App State, and I'm um, obviously in that Sun Belt Conference, and they've had a decent amount of success, relatively speaking, playing down there at Louisiana. But he said it's awesome. Um, their players just – get treated like kings by the Louisiana fans when they're getting on the bus and they're, they're giving them all the, uh, you know, low country bulls and, and crawfish bulls and so forth. Mm. 
that's that's my favorite as far as the culinary experience that's my favorite place to go is, is the state of louisiana i i'm a huge fan of the, the crawfish and all the the cajun stuff they do and uh, uh it, it's a treat that's a treat and they do it right down there little, little boudin balls yeah place. love that stuff and we have one more comment before we let you go aaron from josh o'neill he was talking about the super regional atmosphere in uh, in nashville with vanderbilt he said me and the family went out to the super and it was disappointing, in my opinion, Nashville, the atmosphere. Well, I think we can all agree that the uh, the whistling uh, detracts from the experience. I don't know. I don't, I don't need to go into that. Uh, I've, yeah. I've, uh, I'm on record on that one. That's that's Bubba cool. loves it. <laughs> Bubba loves it. In fact, we were. <laughs> it was funny. We were. We had just won the regional at East Carolina, and all of a sudden we're what we're in the, we're watching the game on our phones uh, and Bubba starts whistling. I'm like, are you a fan of the whistle? I mean, but uh, anyway, no, I did. I did say this. I, I was just trying to get on Dave's nerves, but uh, I did say that, uh, you know, I was just so into the ball game. that I really tuned it out. I, I wish I could do that. It's really difficult for me. I mean, and you think after I've been doing it since at least 2014 or so uh, is when I remember noticing it for the first time. I don't know if that's when it started or not, but uh, you'd think after seven years or whatever, I'd be numb to it. Uh, but it's like every time I cover a Vanderbilt game, it's like three pitches into the game. It's like whistle, 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 clap, clap, clap. And I'm like, I, I, I'm out. I mean, you know, give me my earbuds. I, I can't, <laughs> I can't handle this. It's just, it goes right through me. I wonder when the preacher, when he's at the pulpit, does he whistle um, in this sermon? I know that's probably bad for everybody. So get on me for that one, but. I think he's actually not a preacher. Yeah, it's just, named it's a nickname. Preacher. Oh, it's a nickname. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I thought yeah. it was a nickname. All right. Yeah, well, it, go, it goes back. It goes back to his youth. Uh, and I actually, I spoke with Preacher Franklin on the on the phone for probably a half an hour. Extremely really? nice guy, and uh, we were going to have him on the show. It didn't work out, but uh, very very nice guy. And he said, "Is actually he said you listen to the other whistler." Call the gentleman's name, but he said you listen to him and then listen to mine and tell me which which one's more annoying. It's a tough call. I go back and forth on which one's more annoying. I got to tell you because it just—I mean—they're both annoying in their own unique ways. It's uh, yeah. <laughs> annoying traditions in athletics. That that, that, that would be uh, that would be at the top of my list. There's a few more that bug me, but that that one's right up there. Yeah. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for your time. Uh, you've been with us in over an hour now. It's an honor to have you on, obviously, on our show. And a lot of Pirate fans appreciate you so much. And beyond Pirate Nation, thanks for everything you can do. Before we let you go, can you plug your stuff before, obviously, with D1 Baseball? Yeah, yeah. Uh, D1 Baseball, you know, right now we've got uh, lots of draft stuff. You know, the draft is coming up next week. Um, so you can get your prospect fix on. We're kind of shifting to – into summer mode right now. I'm um, going up to the Cape Cape League next week and got some Team USA stuff. We got NECBL Coastal Plain League. So, you know, I know you guys are all fired up for some NECBL All-Star game, but I'm going to be there. Um, check it out, d1baseball.com. We'll have you know, lots of stuff, podcasts all, all off-season. we got Coaching Carousel, all the, you name it. Uh, if you love college baseball, we hope you, you subscribe uh, at d1baseball.com. And thank you guys for having me on. Really enjoyed this discussion, and uh, it's a lot of fun. No doubt. Love to have you back on. Maybe we can do it uh, before the season starts, uh, certainly next year in 22. Thanks so much, and I uh, hope you have a great summer. All right, guys. You too. Take care. Appreciate you, man. All right. Aaron Fed there of D1 Baseball. Appreciate him very much for coming on with us. A great, uh, great show so far. And I know, guys, we have some roundtable stuff to, to talk about, but we didn't want to 
obviously keep him waiting while we can talk about that. Obviously, the <laughs> first thing that comes to mind is uh, losing Eddie Payne, the former ECU basketball coach, of course, that uh, won the – but that's the only title that uh, ECU won, right, in the Colonial, if my memory serves me right, in 1993. Um, but certainly yeah. – and, um, you know, yesterday, as you would expect, East Carolina Athletics put out an official release. Um, Jody Jones sent that our way, as well as it being on ecupirates.com. And um, Coach Joe Dooley said, I'm heartbroken to learn about the passing of Coach Payne. Uh, he was more than a mentor. He was a friend. He taught me a lot about coaching on and off the court and gave me an opportunity to pursue my passion. He was a man of great faith and character, and I'll always cherish the relationship we had both personally and professionally. And um, not only did he serve on the staff with him at East Carolina, but also previously at South Carolina. And then they had coached against one another when uh, Joe was down at Florida Gulf Coast and Eddie was at USC Upstate. Um, also had a comment from um, Dave Hart. Uh, he, he said, or just one moment here. Um, he said, it's a very sad day with the news of Eddie Payne's passing. Eddie was one of the finest human beings I've ever worked with over the course of my career. He was a really good basketball coach who exemplified all that should be truly important in intercollegiate athletics. Um, my heart goes out to his family and those that he uh, made better for knowing him. And then uh, also Jeff Charles, uh, last but not least, chimed in and said college basketball and the ECU family have lost a great coach and an even better man. Uh, Eddie Payne was a wonderful human being who positively influenced hundreds of lives, both on the court and in his everyday life. His Christian faith, his wife, Ann, and his son, Luke, were his top priorities. Our thoughts are with them. No question about it. And obviously, I would have, you know, we, we talk about pirate basketball all the time, but uh, to think about that there's only been two NCAA appearances and he has one of them, and that was 1993. Um, hopefully, we can, we're going to have Coach Dooley on here pretty soon. I know they've been working really hard, but we'll talk about that and obviously about um, the coaching search for the assistant coaching search that is. We'll find out about that and some of the recruits are. Uh, the ones, obviously, we can talk about for sure. And and Johnny Gardner brought up that Steve Logan and Eddie Payne, obviously that overlap from, from uh, 92 to 95 or 91 to 95, I should say. Um, and I actually, Johnny bringing that up makes me uh, reminded of an experience I had. I guess it was the spring of 92, um, the Pirate Club's spring tour uh, or spring circuit, if you will. An um, 11-year-old Bubba Rosenbaum. Yeah, an 11-year-old, uh, so you can imagine it was a thrill for me uh, being in fifth grade or whatever at the time, maybe sixth grade, and getting to pick Eddie Payne and Steve Logan up at uh, the airport, the Piedmont Triad Airport there in Greensboro. So well, that was pretty cool. at 11. Yep. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> riding uh, riding well, shopping with my dad until, until we picked those uh, gentlemen up at the Piedmont Triad Airport, but that was, that was pretty cool. And yeah, Josh O'Neill's making me feel old. He said, spring of 92, I was one. <laughs> well, that's well the, you, don't feel so old. Dave was, uh, Dave was in 19. the 20s. 19, okay. Yeah, don't put don't age me just yet, Kyle. Um, yeah, that, those uh, – tell you what, with that era, when you had Coach O, you had Eddie Payne, and when you had Coach Logan, that's uh, that was a great – you know, we talk about the big three sports. That was a great era there as I talked to Coach – 
uh, when I talked to uh, Jeff Charles about that a few years ago with the hiring of Mike Houston. But now when you have Mike Houston, Joe Dooley, and Cliff Godwin, three great coaches now, I know that we've had some uh, big pickups. Speaking of Coach Houston, man, they've been working hard over the last month of June. And, man, there's been a lot of great recruits that have committed to East Carolina, really happy with the football program, and just keeps – it tells you we're going in the right direction. Recruiting is definitely going in the right direction. I, I, uh, I you know, when you look at the – Bubba, you got names there? If you got names there, I'll just let you take them. Yeah, I don't have I don't have all of them in front of me, but the most Some recent of that offensive lineman. Yeah, J- Jacob Sacra, um, out of yeah. uh, Baltimore, Maryland. He is the fifth offensive lineman in this class so far Great to commit, that. and uh, I love the way that Coach Houston and this staff and the highest uh, rated are, offensive lineman in twenty four seven sports history to commit yeah. to East Carolina. Going back to what 1999 or 2000, Early whenever, 2000 whenever they started yeah. doing their composite rankings, and uh, we'll, we'll see how it translates to the field. Um, but um, yeah, five offensive linemen, um, uh, a load of uh, defensive linemen as well. So they're building this program the right way, um, getting some depth in the trenches. And uh, I, I really look forward on Tuesday, we'll have a conversation with Donnie Kirkpatrick, um, Pirates offensive coordinator. And we'll talk about what's in store on the offensive side this year. Yeah, and, and while he's from Baltimore, and that's a huge pickup, we're also doing one thing that was concerning to me a little bit last year was uh, we weren't doing too well in state, and maybe just the talent we won't want in state. Uh, this year, we're doing a lot better in the state of North Carolina with recruiting, so that's good. Yeah. And uh, definitely, like you said, Bubba, you're doing it the right way when you when you are adding layers in the offensive line and the defensive line. And not only are the layers, they're quality layers, at least on paper. Right. You, 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 there's, eventually, you're going to win. There's just, there's just no two ways about it. If you build depth on the offensive and defensive line, it's going to lead to success eventually, hopefully sooner than later. But we're, we're, we're on the right track for sure. And, and one thing, you know, as we come up here in July and the NCAA, or not the NCAA, but the playoffs, you know, if it expands to 12, and that gives the group of five an automatic bid into the playoffs. Um, the Americans going to get that playoffs about four out of every five years, I bet you. And I really think that's going to impact recruiting if that happens. Oh, yeah. I, I really believe if you're in the American, you'll be able to go toe-to-toe with most lower-level Power 5 schools on a regular basis. Uh, your, your NC State's, your Louisville's, your, your – schools like that, I I really think that will change the recruiting dynamic huge if that happens. And I tell you what, the easiest way to change the recruiting is winning. Um, That's one thing that they can always say. You don't have a practice facility. They can talk about the facilities. They can talk about (laughs) the fact, you know, that we haven't been to a bowl since 2014. All that stuff, that's going to come, that'll come to an end whenever we have, I think it'll be this year when we go bowling and then all of a sudden next year we have a good shot at the at the American title in yeah. 2020. No, no doubt. Winning definitely is going to help with recruiting, but j- just without being able to take non-qualifiers um, anymore and, and your App States and your Charlottes can, et cetera, Coastal Carolina can, we we really need to, to do something to, to get on a more equal playing field with the with the P5 and uh, for recruiting purposes. And I really believe if that playoff expansion happens, that that'll, that'll take place. And guys, it's definitely going to happen. I mean, I think the – the question will be, here's another thing that I heard the other day I hadn't thought about, guys. I'm glad that um, that we're on talking about the – I'm glad you brought it up, Kyle, about the playoff. 
you know, there were a lot of people talking about Notre Dame and how they were not going to get the uh, first round by. But how about this? That actually works in their favor. You know why? Because the five through eight slot, if they get number five, right, and they get everybody says, oh, they don't get. Well, guess what? They get to host another home game, which means more money for their program. And you know how Notre Dame is. If they have a a, a regular game, much less. This well, well, is well, what do you what do you mean? If they finish in the top in the top four, they'd get a first round buy. I don't know. How. They're not they're not going to be eligible for that, isn't that right, Bubba? That's what I heard. One of the things that you got to be a conference champion. Yeah. Yeah, so, Notre Dame. Uh, if if I heard, uh, I only caught the tail end of that. But if that's what you guys were discussing, as far as Notre Dame, um, Notre Dame will have to. Uh, play a first round game they, they will not get a buy yep okay so your four highs and, and, and obviously the details are still being worked out but the most that's the most recent thing we had heard but that, that's obviously subject to potentially i, change. I bet you that's going to be changed i bet it's going to yeah. be your four highest ranked teams because you, you could have you could have a, a, a position where number one and number two could be two sec teams and uh, you know you know so i, I don't I, I bet you could be wrong. We'll see because, you know, nothing's been passed yet. But uh, I bet you that, that part has changed. Um, don't really Yeah, care. when I heard it, I couldn't believe it, Kyle, because you know the way Notre Dame's treated. Uh, yeah. You know, well, the, the golden child, uh, no, no pun intended. But, um, but you know what that means, don't you? If they do keep it that way and they want to buy, they'll just join. The, 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 finally, the ACC will get Notre Dame eventually. Maybe. Well, maybe, maybe, you know, or they'll just, they'll just know they're going to have to play an extra game. Um, but, you know, and, and I'll, Bubba, do you, do you know, or, or Davey, the one, do you, do you know if that rule, is that your four highest ranked conference champions? And does that include the group of five or, or, or is the group of five allocated to playing an extra game no matter what? I think, well, it's going to be the ranked, but the thing is, is the, I mean, maybe you could have, I've never thought about that, but maybe you could have a, a UCF or East well, Carolina. If, if, the, if the verbiage, you see, perception's reality, Dave. If the verbiage is your highest, if your four highest ranked conference champions, and the group of five, then automatically is going to get one of the playoff spots. You know, in this scenario, if we go to twelve, then over time that changes the perception of of certain group of five programs, yeah. particularly in the American. You know, and over time, a UCF may may, may or maybe down the road, East Carolina have several good years in a row could be in a position to be ranked number four. Yeah. I don't know the, I haven't seen Bubba. Have you, I haven't seen the actual, like I haven't read anything as far as on paper, but I've just heard the discussions of it. So I don't know. The first yeah. I've, I've had so much other stuff going on. I haven't really had a chance to read up on it the way I'd like, but um, the keys to get to, the keys for the expansion to happen to 12 and for the group of five to be awarded an automatic bid. I, I do know this, that, um, the sixth uh, or six uh, most highly ranked conference champions. Um, that was something that the Pac-12. It was it was kind of funny. The Pac-12 uh, did not like it uh, because uh, you know they weren't. <laughs> but at the same time, I mean, I mean, good grief! If your if your champion can't be ranked higher, then then you get what you are, deserve. Are they, are they scared? Are they scared? Cincinnati and Boise is going to get in, and they're not. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Because they I haven't been. Welcome the last to our year. world. Welcome, welcome to the world that we've been living in for uh, all these years. Yeah, if you if you do it that verbiage, if you do that verbiage, and you just straight up say the sixth highest rated conference champ, that's never going to happen, Bubba. Because then that's fair. 
that they're going to have to right. have something to, to make it unfair. If they just straight up say the six highest-rated conference champions, then that literally, on paper, puts everybody on the same playing field. Now, it won't be. It'll still, in most years, be your five power five champions. But on paper, that makes everything equal. And again, perception is reality. So over time, particularly if you're the American, so yeah, that verbiage will probably be changed, unfortunately, Bubba. But that would be great. We absolutely because we are we are part of the P six movement, right? Power six with the American, and I, at that point, since at that point, the Sun Belt Conference USA would be too. I mean, we, we would all if it's the six highest rated conference champions, yep. get automatic spots. If that's the verbiage, uh, that that would be great. Unfortunately, that'll be changed. The verbiage will end up being your five Power Five champions, and then one champion from the other five leagues. Which is still fine. It, it still gets us what we want, but it's unfortunately not as fair as on paper as it would be written the other way. Well, that's one of the stories we'll continue to follow. As and as, uh, as another thing, on. Dave, I don't know where you're going, but while we're on college athletics, uh, the the what, what about the, uh, the the likeness and imaging, the the, the the that being going into effect now? Players can be play, paid. And did you guys see uh, the Miami? The Miami booster, uh, yeah, $6,000 $6, for every single Miami player. They're going to be advertising for him. So uh, is that not a recruiting advantage? Holy crap. Well, my thing with the whole situation, though, is overall, I don't think – I think it's one of those things we've been talking about it, and I think that it's going to open up a, a lot of can of worms. I don't, I, don't, I don't really have a problem with it. I just think that there has been – I think that the athletes, it's one of those things, be careful what you wish for. You know, they're saying we need it, we need it, we need it, we need it. But I think the bottom line is I don't think it's going to impact college as much as what um, people think. I really don't. I think now that it's out there, it's like one of those things that uh, you can pick whatever topic you want to talk about. But once you have it, then like kind of like we were talking about replay back in the day, man, we need replay on that call. And then they take five hours to make the, you know, they never change the call. So I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how much of an impact it's going to be. Uh, it, you know, and, and how much money is going to be out there? Is there a cap? Is, is there a cap? Do you guys know if there's a cap on how much a player can make or free market? I know there's one thing is they're they're going to limit as far as um, they're not going to let them. I, I know this for a fact that they're not going to let them. There's certain businesses they won't let them like make money from because it could be, um, you know, that. But I, I, I uh, like for a television. Like if it's somebody mentioned on another sports station um, about the very fact of what if you had a situation where you had a TV company and they wanted uh, they would pay each player, you know, like that situation. But in that particular case, um, say like to help with the ratings, they're not going to let them do that like CBS. Or okay. Well, you said a whole lot of nothing there. I finally got what you're saying. Okay. I got you. Uh, no, I was, so trying to think, I was trying to say, think about how to like put it, but I mean. Because you were asking, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Uh, no, no, like media deals. You, you can't, you can't have a player advertising for CBS and then playing right. for CBS, et cetera. What about strip clubs? Can uh, can can, can they advertise for strip clubs? What what about what about liquor? Can they, can they? You know? I mean, I haven't heard the actual one. That's the only one I know for sure. Is, is one that uh, one that's going to be asked a lot and thought of a lot. I uh, heard a conversation on on pot up with Matthews in the morning where uh, they had the assistant AD uh, for Florida on and he had just been talked 
talking, excuse me, about the process and everything they've been doing to prepare for it. And um, he said one of the big things is um, the major questions that they've been asked as far as, uh, you know, you have, I can't remember if Florida is a Nike school. Um, yeah, because I think they wear the Jumpman logo on the uniforms. Yeah, so uh, if, if Adidas comes after one of their athletes, um, what are they going to do? And they, yeah. they, can, they can do it but they cannot wear Adidas apparel during competition or during practice. They, they can wear it from away from the facility, but um, not, you know, when they're on the clock, so to speak, it's a Florida Gator. That, that would be, that, that seems like a bad idea unless it's a sponsorship, let's say in hoops, where a kid um, is about to go to the league and he's a senior. Um, that would make some sense. Otherwise, I don't see why that would make a lot of sense for Adidas to want to sponsor a, a Nike player uh, as a, as a you know as if in college would you, you see what I'm saying? If you're about to go to the league or if you're about to go to the NBA, particularly in basketball, uh, then I think it would make some sense. All right, we need to. Well, it's about time for us to go. Let's mention season tickets and get out of here, right, Bubba? Yeah, the most recent update on season tickets I saw, and this was per Ronnie Woodward with the Daily Reflector. Uh, he put this out on social media either earlier today or uh, or yesterday, and uh, that was 12,000. And season tickets are approaching 12,000. Um, as of, you know, a couple weeks ago, the most recent letter from the helm with John Gilbert, it was 11-4. So we sold five or 600. And uh, we want to get to 14,000, and they're going to make a push uh, later on this month um, with some different videos. I heard Brian Medor in a recent interview that he did um, saying that, you know, the if, if you recall the Legend series uh, that was done a few years ago with the likes of Robert Jones, Jeff Blake, et cetera, uh, that they're going to have some different clips from Legends uh, making a push to get these season ticket numbers where they need to be. I, I would like to see a commercial you know, where on TV, online, et cetera, it just talks about, you know, it just appeals to the college football fan and the football fan in general. Forget being an East Carolina fan, you know, saying, you know, big time division one football, South Carolina Gamecocks, uh, you know, uh, Temple Golden, Temple Golden Hurricanes, Temple Owls, you know, just all these schools that are coming into Greenville this year, you know, come see all these games in person for $100. We, we got a lot of people, you know, that live in the East now in Greenville, that aren't from here, that, that right. have no allegiance to East Carolina, but it's entertainment, and, and they may love football. And uh, so, you know, I, I'd like to see some promotion done that way. I think you got, in this environment, in this day and age, I think you got to be creative with your marketing. And, um, you know, nothing wrong with, with reaching out to Pirate fans and trying to get them back in the stands. But I, I think you also just need to do something to appeal to the football fan in general and we do have those $100 tickets. I would like to see that area expanded, but we haven't even sold out of the ones we have. Um, I do like that that's being pushed now, starting at $99. But, yeah, just I, I, I'd like to see a big, heavy marketing campaign just, just pushing to, to the general football fan. Uh, come, come watch big-time college football for, you know, for 100 bucks for a whole season. And a lot of a lot of you um, viewers and listeners have probably seen it at this point or heard it, and uh, it's it's on YouTube, and we also you know shared it on our Facebook page. But uh, Luke Fisher, um, Hall of Fame tight end from the Peach Bowl era, had a message for Pirate Nation, so definitely go and check that out. Uh, it has several hundred views at this point, but uh, 
great message from Luke, uh, you know, referencing his time, but um, mainly looking forward to uh, what's going to take place under Coach Houston. No doubt about it. And, uh, guys, uh, next week we're going to have Donnie Kay. want to mention that, that for fans. Also, uh, we'll have Phil Steele. But to, uh, before we go, Bubba, one last thing. We've got a great guest coming up tomorrow. Yeah, we do. Uh, obviously, later this month, the uh, Tokyo Olympics will be taking place without fans, as we found out today. Yeah. Um, but Tynita Butts, uh, who who uh, competed for East Carolina, I think her final year was back in 2014. Hard to believe that she's been gone that long. But she's, uh, I think, ranked 21st in the world in high jump. Uh, so she will be going to Tokyo, and uh, we'll join her tomorrow. That was going to be today. But uh, Tynita had a flight cancellation. She needed to, to fly out to Atlanta today. Uh, so um, we, of course, accommodated her schedule, and she was nice enough to accommodate us and join us tomorrow uh, at, uh, you know, 5, 5.15. So stay tuned for that. So we've had her on the program before. We look forward to talking to her about competing over in Tokyo. Yeah, winning the Olympics uh, or winning the gold in the Olympics. So that would be fantastic to have a fire win gold. And uh, I told uh, I told you guys as we close this out. I was speaking to my wife earlier, Jessica. You guys know her. And I said, <laughs> I, I say to her, I said uh, because of the stupid uh, Delta variant of the COVID virus, uh, they've uh, decided to have no fans at the Olympics here in Tokyo. And she said, "The Olympics are in Kentucky this year." <laughs> I said, Kentucky. She said, "Yeah, you said Kentucky. I said, Tokyo." <laughs> I don't know what she heard. But good old Tokyo, Kentucky. Sounds good to me. Uh, they have uh, great Tokyo restaurants there, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, guys, uh, thanks to Aaron Fitt of D1 Baseball. Thanks to all our great fans watching and listening, whether it's live or archive. Appreciate you. Uh, by the way, don't forget to like our Facebook page uh, and definitely subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow us on Twitter as well, all our social media. Kyle, thank you very much. Bubba, as always, my friend, thanks for producing, being on air. And we'll see you next time, guys. As always, go Pirates. Good night, everybody. Yo, what's going on, y'all? This is Udon Cheek, assistant track and field coach at East Carolina University. You are plugged into the Sports Objective Podcast. If you are a fan, you are plugged into the right place. And if you're really a fan, you will share that link. My heart is purple and gold. I'm a pirate down to my soul. And I don't back down, not at all. Find out when the cannons explode. Boom!